0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. So this morning,
1: we are going to be in Romans 15, starting with verse 14. So, the last time the message was titled Unity or Selfishness, and you know, we've been in Romans. Romans is a book that, if, for those who really know their scripture, Romans is, is a tremendous letter. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He probably had no idea how God was going to use this letter in the last 2,000 years. But anyone who's, who gets really serious about doctrine and knowing God's word, likes to dive into Romans and understand that letter. Now, it's, today the message is titled Reflections on Ministry, and here we get to the last two chapters. And the Apostle Paul is basically as if you were to write a letter, he writes his conclusion, right? He writes... What his parting thoughts are. So he's in a bunch of different areas as a teacher. It's a little hard to teach the last two chapters because he's in a lot of different places, but you would do the same thing in writing a letter. So he's letting the Roman Christians know uh, what his parting thoughts are, what he really wants them to kind of take from this his goodbyes, his uh, discussions about coming to see them again. Not everything has a direct application, but I'm going to do the best I can with the material that I have. There are some good applications in here, though, and we're going to see this in three parts. So as we jump in, he continues. He says, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So one out of three is Paul's instructions for ministry. So God, you know, I'm going to say this, that as we go into the new year, you know, I I did a, a message, the last message in December, that basically said resolutions or redemption. I really enjoyed teaching it. And basically, you know, we have a culture, a Western culture that's into these New Year's resolutions. While I have no issue, I have no problem with Christians making New Year's resolutions, but it's a lot easier to let God take the wheel, so to speak, than to try to do everything in our own strength. So if you look at resolutions, resolutions is willpower. You know, it's something that we do that we decide to change ourselves or to better ourselves. However, redemption is a God thing. I know for me personally, I think I'm pretty gritty. I think I'm pretty tenacious. But why do things difficult? I know for me, when there's things I want changed in my life, I'd rather see what the Lord can do through me, with me, than me trying to do it on my own. Amen? So as we go into the new year... We're going to talk about ministry. And every single person, every single person who's a Christian is blessed, endowed with spiritual gifts. And if you don't know them, ask somebody that you respect or trust. Pray with me. Help me to understand. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. And in addition to that, what is it that God wants me to do with my life? Now, it's kind of funny. Before I became a Christian and people have this fear Well, if I become a Christian, God's going to send me to some remote area to be a missionary. No, I mean, if that's something that you're called to do, it's something that you and him do together. That's wonderful. And we have missionaries. But there's people in our own neighborhoods, in our own families that are unsaved. God doesn't have to send everybody overseas. So we're talking about ministry. And the question is, what is my ministry? Do I have a ministry? What are my spiritual gifts? What does God want me to do? It's very important. So God gives Paul this directive. He gives him this mandate to continue to help to bring the Gentiles to salvation, which is very unusual because he was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. He was um, of the religious echelon. He had power. He had knowledge. And Paul really liked to talk to his fellow Jews. But God said, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. Probably a ministry he didn't necessarily expect. But he also was able to go in a synagogue. So God blessed him. But it wasn't an easy ministry. And he's basically saying through all this, and if we read it wrong, we could maybe think he's bragging. But that was not the Apostle Paul's style. He gave his example. And this is what a leader should do. To those that they're working with, that they're discipling, is to say, This is the example. Now check this out. Well, how do you know your way is always right? He says this in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Paul says to the Corinthians, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I would say the same thing. If my behavior is bad today after service, don't do that. <laughs> because we're all sinners. Paul was a sinner, I'm a sinner. I would say the same thing he says. When I'm imitating Christ, when I'm doing it right, imitate me. When I'm not, don't. So really good um, ideas and and directives. Um, Remember, the Roman church was surrounded heavily by worldly influences. These are important things he's sharing with them. Verse 14, he says to the Roman Christians, Have goodness, knowledge, and admonish one another. Now, this is a necessary mix. Watch the triangulation of how these go together. So, A, knowledge. Well, we should know God's word. God's word is very important to know God, right? When we, the more we know of God's word, we know God's character, we know his heart. We can hear things in religion and peer groups and really things that maybe feel, make us feel uncomfortable about God, and they may not even be true. So when we know God's word, we get to know God. So the knowledge of his word is very important. That's why we teach through the scripture at Calvary Chapel. It also helps to inoculate us from cults and false teachings. Not everybody who joins a cult is, is dumb. You know, the Jim Jones, Guyana, there were doctors who were mixing the cyanide. There were lawyers. How does somebody that educated fall into a cult? Because it's a spiritual thing. It's a demonic thing. It has nothing to do with intelligence. Very smart people fall victim to these things. So we have to know God's word. Very important. B, did I mention important? I think I might've said that 10 times already. Uh, So B is goodness, virtue, beneficence. Why? Because knowledge without goodness can be harsh, right? If I say all these sinners who don't believe in Jesus, they're going to be judged. And that may be a true statement. But is that the way I should share with somebody I just met on the street who doesn't know Jesus? Probably not. If you read John chapter 4, by the time Jesus is sitting with this very immoral woman, by the time he gets to the point about sin, he has helped her to take her walls down so much that she just accepts it. And she practically thanks him. And she's amazed of his knowledge of what he knows about her. Right? So Jesus builds a bridge. We need to build a bridge. We need to have goodness with our knowledge. And, and sometimes that's a turn off to the church to run into Christians who are harsh. When I came to a Calvary chapel for the first time, I wanted to be loved too, I wanted to be accepted. And I, I shied away from those, you know, sourpuss Christians who were just, I felt were judgmental. I, I went to the ones who were warm but told me the truth at the same time. So you have knowledge, goodness, and he says, uh, and on the other hand as well, to admonish each other, to warn each other, to reprove, to at times discipline and correction is necessary. Now we live in a society, and it's getting harder and harder to preach the truth, because we live in a society where people are just unteachable. They're triggered by everything. Everything bothers them. You know, everything has to be, you know, it's just the other extreme. Make me feel good. And the TV preachers who preach, oh, wonderful things all the time, they're not helpful, especially if they're not preaching the truth. So we need to admonish each other. I've been admonished plenty in my growing process, and I still get admonished. You know, in in the book of Revelation, John the Apostle, he eats the word it's this weird thing he's he's with this angel and the angels kind of showing him end, end times and world events and he 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 tastes he eats the word he, it's in his mouth and he swallows it and he goes it was it was sweet in my mouth but when it hit my stomach it was sour so what we, what do we find that God's we love God's word but sometimes in the application process it could be difficult to swallow believe me folks I read the scripture like you do, and I read things that it's like a speed bump. And I got to read it again because maybe I'm convicted about something I'm doing, right? And it it bothers me. It doesn't matter if I'm offended or bothered. It's the word. It's the truth. And everything is going to affect us all differently depending on our proclivity or predisposition to a certain type of sin. So he, he ministers to the Gentiles, right? Not easy, but it's something that God wanted him to do. Now, I can say this from a conviction standpoint and say, you know, every Christian has a spiritual gift, and, you know, is your life just all about you? And and there's an application for that. But I also want to encourage and say, from the other end, is that every single person in this room has spiritual gifts. Maybe some of you haven't figured it out yet. It took me a while in my own life. And God has a ministry for you. Isn't that exciting? This is God we're talking about. This is the CEO of all creation. This is the one who makes all the right decisions. And he wants to use you. He wants to use you. He wants to use you. You know, that's very exciting to me. So remember, New Year, it's 2020. We want to stop smoking. We want to eat better. We want to do all these things. But is part of our idea to say, what does the Lord want me to do? We make plans. Right? I make plans. I got the 10-year plan if the Lord tarries. But I always have to factor him into my decisions. I'm a pastor, but I'm also just a Christian, right? So these are things that are important. When we're planning everything out, are we considering the Lord in our lives? Or we just say, well, as my friend in the back says, uh, people come to Jesus. It's fire insurance. You know, they don't want to go to the... Who, nobody wants to go to judgment, Right? But we should also come to Jesus because we want to know God. And we want to understand this parent that, you know, at 26 or at 52, I never really knew him my whole life. Now I want to get to know him. Let's make up for lost time. So there's a lot of things here. Where am I needed? Right? Even in ministry, people will sign up for ministry. Well, this is what I want to do. But what about, I love when people say, well, where does this church need me? Where are the gaps? That's a more mature attitude. You know, I don't know that I have a lot of skills that you need, Pastor Joe, but, but I want to be used. Well, then you have everything we need. Because that's an attitude of humility. And God will, will bring up the rear. He'll bring up the difference. He'll make it up. He's good like that. Verse 16, he speaks about this offering of the Gentiles to be acceptable to God. Now, offering was to, to be understood. If, when you read the original language, it was like a priestly offering. You know, and the priest would would minister, and he would offer his sacrifices to God. And his sacrifices, less physical, but more spiritual. When the priest offered things to God, they had to be dedicated. They had to sacrifice. They had to um, give their best. And as Christians, do we give our best to God? So Paul was, he was working with the Gentiles. It wasn't an easy ministry, but he was faithful in how he dealt with them and getting them to understand from the Greco-Roman pagan world to understand who the monotheistic God is. It wasn't an easy task, but he offered them to God and, he, and he, he ministered and he discipled them and he was like a spiritual father to them, like a priest would give an offering. And we have to ask ourselves as Christians, do I give God my best? Now, we're not perfect. We're not going to give God perfect because we're not perfect. But do we give him our best? Do we do the best at our profession, at our, um, our best vacations, our best, you know, uh, doctorates and amassing all these worldly things? But we give God scraps. It's the only question that I could answer and everyone can answer individually. Right? So, verse 17, we continue on. He says, "Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus, in the things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation." But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. So two out of three is Paul's power in personal and unique ministry, which we all can have. Now, Paul didn't say, I glory in myself. He gloried in Jesus Christ. Amen? And you can tell, folks, you can tell whether it's a pastor or a an evangelist. You can tell when you hear their words, are they bragging about themselves or are they just excited about what the Lord is doing through them? You can pick up the difference. You know, I was, my wife and I were taught pithy things from our pastor. And one of the things we were taught was never take God's glory. And we always remembered that, you know, sometimes I'm out there and people, you know, your flesh, you you know, they say, Oh, it was a great message. Oh, I was so moved. And you know what I say? Oh, Praise God! And it's not a cliche. It's it's really what I mean. You take God out of my life, and nobody will come here. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I remember the person I was before I was a Christian. So I'd be stupid not to give God glory. God, you know. And I, and I have good examples. I have the Apostle Paul. I have my pastor, right? So this is pretty neat. He glories in the ministering he does. Only as it goes through the power of Christ. Important to make that decision. You know, we have a a self glorifying culture. And again, folks, listen, in Rome, Rome was always decadent. And Paul and, and whoever went to Rome and visited the Roman Christians, they had to make sure they understood not to follow everything that the Roman culture was doing. Listen, we live on the East Coast. 2020, the United States, I have to talk about decadent trends in our culture that we don't get caught up in. Otherwise, I'm a false shepherd. I'm not doing my job right. Here's something amazing. In Revelation 4, we find we're jettisoned into this throne room of God, and John is being led by the angel through these visions, through these actual events, I believe, and he sees these elders, right? There's not that many of them, but they see God and they, they get down on their knees and they prostrate themselves and they take the crowns that they've won in their human life and they, they throw it at the Lord's feet. Isn't that amazing? So the Bible says that we win crowns, those of us who have led one person to Jesus or had a little part of it, right? Soul winners, There's all these different crowns that the Bible talks about that we're not really familiar until we actually see it in the end. But what do we do? In heaven, you don't go, well, look at my crown. It's better than your crown. Look at the diadems in there, Karen. It doesn't work like that. Whatever we get, it's through Christ anyway. So what do they do in the throne room? They give it back to the Lord and they worship him. That's the mindset that we have to have. To be used by the CEO of all creation is fantastic, but not to let it get to our heads. And there's various reasons why people get into ministry. It's weird. It's like churches aren't Fortune 500 companies, but some people get into the church and they start to let titles and stuff go to their heads. That's weird. Well, I don't have to serve anymore. I've got a title. You serve. No, no, no. It doesn't work like that. So good stuff here. I mean, this is really helping us to understand what, what does true ministry look like? What are the motives behind it? So when he speaks of Jerusalem and Illyricum, Illyricum was more of the western part of the Roman Empire. And Jerusalem was, is the Near East, but really a, a, you know, the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And basically what Paul's saying is the Christians wanted to go all over the place to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, we know John 3.16 says, For God so, so loved the world, so much loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You see these universal calls, clarion calls. You see that nobody's outside of this this dragnet of, of people getting saved, that's the beauty of, of Christianity. Not some schisms, but when you read the scripture, it's God says all, whosoever. This is God. He's saying, I don't care. Seven billion people on the planet can go up to 10 billion. It can go up to 20 billion. I love everybody. I want everybody to come to me. But remember, he's given us all free will. So we have the opportunity to do that in order not to do that. It took me 20-something years to finally say, who am I running from him? This is, he's been calling me with cords of love for a long time. So there's the gospel for you, to trust in him for our salvation, to trust in him for our eternity, but also for this life now. So verse 20, his desire is to preach where he wasn't named where Christ wasn't named. And this is, and he also says not to build on another's foundation. Again, some of this you're, you're going to say, I'm not into the whole church building thing. I don't really understand what you're talking about, which is cool. But I also have to make sure that I get all the applications out. So this is an interesting thing, a pioneering spirit. There's people that have gone down to South America. They've gone to Australia. They've gone to indigenous tribes that no one's ever gone to. Wow, that takes something. I don't know that I'm called to that, but I really respect and admire people that do that. They have to learn the language. They have to learn the culture. They have to learn etiquette. They have to learn how to get in there and to love these people and to make that communication that Jesus died for their sins. That's fantastic. Now, in the United States, and it hasn't happened to me, but I've heard it from some other pastors, Again, not to build on someone else's foundation where some come into the church and they, maybe they get offended or they, they leave the church and they, they purposely start another church like a few blocks away <laughs> so that hopefully some of the people from the established church will go there and they could have an instant, instant fellowship. That's a weird thing, but that happens in the United States. I've talked to two pastors where that they purposely st- opened up a church near the other church so that they could take people with them. No, that's the easy way. That's the lame way. Go out and start your own work where Christ, where there is no church. You know what I'm saying? Start a, you know, I love talking to strangers. My wife sometimes, she knows by now. You know, I could be anywhere. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm walking off talking to somebody and she's like, it's, that's just, you know, because it's a cool thing just to meet people that don't know Jesus and try to build that bridge. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but heck, I'm going to give it a shot every chance I get. So, <laughs> um, or some that come into a church that, um, and, and that try to come into established church, they like the church. And it's almost like they're like, they want to all of a sudden become this leader and draw a bunch of people towards themselves. I'll give you an example. And it's just, I try to understand people's thinking processes. There was a guy years ago, he came to our church and he had this eh, kind of extreme theological position. And he would give me a book and I'd read some of it. And give me, he keeps giving me these books. So one day he goes, I want to have a meeting with you. I'm like, okay. I never know when people say that, what they want to say to me, you know, <laughs> okay, can you tip me off a little bit? Oh, you'll see. So so he goes, all right, I gave you all those books. He goes, uh, so are you going to turn this church into what this thing that he wanted? I'm like, no, why would I do that? So we started debating doctrine. I said, you guys take an extreme position. We look at the Bible in its totality. So I'm not getting anywhere with him. He's not getting anywhere with me. It's just kind of weird. So I said, and what church did you come from? And he tells me, I won't say it. I said, well, how come you're here? He goes, well, because that's a dead church. I said, so you want to bring that here? (laughs) So people do weird things. Yeah, that doctrine kind of killed that church. So you want to kill ours too? I don't know. I just, it's just truth is stranger than fiction. Anyway, we'll move on. Verse 22, last few verses for this morning, is Paul says, For this reason I have also been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I have to see you on my my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia, which is what we know as Greece, to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by you of, wait, by way of you to Spain. I'm trying to follow all his travels. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, And that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So three out of three is Paul's plans for future ministry, of course, Lord willing. So the first two, 22 through 24, Paul explains why he hasn't visited the Roman church yet and God had things for him to do. Now, Paul, after he sent his letter to them and they read that, he wanted to come visit them. And again, plans, plans. He always considered God in his plans. That was his north star. That was his guiding light. You know, as Christians, sometimes we become Christians and we've, I've gone through the stage. We all go through the stage. We're like, oh yeah, great. Jesus, the, the word, it's great. Church. I love it. It's my new, new way of life. But Sometimes God wants to take us to different levels. And we, sometimes in Christianity, we start on the surface level. It's fun. I like it. I love the church. I love, God's changing me, but we, we don't let him go any deeper. You see what I'm saying? And I, I, I went through that. And I was making plans and my wife and I were making plans. And I just felt convicted to really go all the way and consider, what does God want me to do with my life? Now, don't get me wrong. When we go out to dinner, I don't pray and say, Lord, which restaurant do I go to? I don't go into my closet and say, should I wear the red or the green? He doesn't care. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I can make simple decisions. You know, I usually ask my wife, what do you want to go to dinner? She's like, where do you want to go? I said, I want to go where you want to go. (laughs) Listen, I'm no dummy. See, a couple that I'm doing their, their wedding this year. Um, I've been married for over 22 years. I'm smart. Hey, some things we don't agree upon, like, we, we, you know, which room to put our stuff in. But, I, you know, she's my partner. So fish today, Italian tomorrow, I don't really care. We, we don't go every night. She is actually a great cook. Okay. Um, <laughs> versus... 23 through 24, he had a great desire. He wanted to see him. He wanted to see them, but Lord willing. Pastor Sam, where's Pastor Sam? There you are. When we talk, he always says, he goes, I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. Again, it's not a cliche. That's the way this man lives his life. Well, we'll do that, Lord willing. We'll take that trip. He always says that, and he means it. He's come to the point in his journey for many years, where it 's whatever the Lord wants me to do. Let me read something to you in James four thirteen through seventeen it 's under faith produces dependence on God, and this, this could be everyone. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You know, as a police officer, I saw death all the time. As a pastor, I've done funerals. I've buried friends. Um, when I go to sleep at night, sometimes like, I pray and I'm like, I wonder if I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I don't, doesn't freak me out. It's the Lord's decision. I wake up, I wake up. If not, my wife knows where all the paperwork is. So, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't care, but I, I like to be alive. I like to enjoy my life, but I know that my life is in his hand. Very simple little things that can happen in blood vessels, the lungs, the different parts of the body, and we're done. It's over, right? Verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. It's right there in the scripture. You know, Paul did end up in Rome, but unfortunately he ended up as a prisoner. Right? And that's probably one of the hardest things as Christians, especially serving, that we struggle with. You know, a person who has a heart to serve and their life is cut short or, or bad things befall them. listen. The Bible says the rain rains on the the good and the evil. You know, God doesn't. If God was to reward people every time, think about this, and every good decision we made, they'd be more wealthy, they'd be more healthy. That's actually manipulation. That's sort of cognitive therapy. That's a, a behaviorism that he would work with to brainwash us to do right. Wicked people get blessed. Good people suffer and and vice versa, right? It's up to, to us to decide to follow him or not to follow him. And we can't say, like some of these TV preachers, well, I'm going to follow him because they promised me all these good things. Now, what we are promised is eternal life. We are promised a relationship with him, things that cannot be altered. But all the other stuff that comes with the world, no, we're not promised those things. In Hebrews 11, it's called the heroes of faith chapter. There were men, there were women. Some people were victorious in battles. They lived till ripe old ages. Other people had their lives taken from them through martyrdom. But you know what Hebrews 11 says? They were all heroes. Again, tough for us to, to get. These are the deeper things of the Bible. But in eternity, they're on the heroes list. doesn't matter if their life was taken from them or not. So we just serve the Lord because we love Him and because we want to please Him and we trust Him for everything else that happens. He took ministry seriously. Not everybody does that. Verse 25 through 29. So now here's a different subject. I I should have made it four of four. But you have this thing going on. Again, for some of you, you're like, ah, it's church stuff, ecclesiastical. You know, I like the further the uh, applications before, but this doesn't really, but we we need to know all of God's word. Maybe one day, 10 years from now, you'll be in ministry and this will make sense to you. So what he's saying basically is Paul took a collection from the Gentile Christians, Greco-Roman worlds, become believers, you know, in, in the area of Rome, in certain of these cities, they made money. So he said, listen, the Jerusalem saints are suffering. They're going through things. They they need financial assistance and they're, they're largely Jewish. And he appealed to the Gentiles. You might never meet them, but they're your brothers and sisters in eternity. This is amazing. He says, you got the Jewish Messiah because of the Jewish people. You got spiritual blessings and wealth. Could you give up some of your material blessings and wealth to help your brothers and sisters who are suffering. Pretty interesting, isn't it? They got the, you know, in Rome, they got the um, spiritual blessings. And he's asking them to bless the Jewish Christians with some material blessings because they needed it. You know, it's funny, in our denomination, Calvary Chapel, some people will give me a hard time for calling it a denomination, but it's the non denominational denomination. Manamanam. Manam. <laughs> anyway, um, we don't talk about money that much. We actually, because when Chuck Smith and, and God's vision to him, a lot of churches were just pestering people for money. So Calvary Chapel went in the other direction. We hardly ever talk about money. But there is a, a legitimate time to speak about finances. And unfortunately, you see some of these guys that they have a, bunch, a hanger full of jets, Kevin Copeland, Ken Copeland, and he wants another jet because he doesn't want to fly commercial with all these weird people that he doesn't know. It's just very weird. He calls himself a pastor. People like that ruin the discussion about finances. But it's common sense, right? Churches, uh, they replace the whole roof. I'm not going anywhere, but they don't go, oh, you're a church? Oh, just, let me just write that off. It doesn't happen like that. So ministries need to be supported, and Paul is legitimately asking them, could you help them? They're struggling, and they did. Pretty neat. So there's a time and a place to talk about that. Verse 30, he says, strive with me or strive together with me in your prayers. The Greek word is soon agonizomai. And if you actually take, if you like etymology or you like uh, root, roots and prefixes and suffixes, it's kind of cool because the Greek is very similar of its transition into the English as a living language. It's taken from Arabic, Greek, Latin. Really fascinating, I love studying that stuff. But uh, soon together, agonizomai, agonize, right? We, we have that in our language. And he, it basically means in the Greek is to agonize together. You know, if we're praying from the heart, it isn't, it isn't just we go to bed at night and we ask uh, the, the heavenly Santa Claus in, in the sky, and I say that facetiously for all the things our wish list. Well, we're, if we're really praying from the heart, sometimes we'll agonize in prayer. Um, I've been there. You know, when somebody comes to you and talks to you about their prodigal child, son or daughter, making bad decisions, and you just, you just, oh, your your heart breaks for their kid. You know what I'm saying? And and some of you are dealing with that right now. Um, A desire for the lost. You know, you, you share with so many people and you don't see that much fruit. But your desire is you're saved, you want to see everybody else saved too. A sister, um, an older saint uh, called me up and she has another tumor in her brain and we started praying together and she started crying. And I started crying because she's such a great lady. You know, I know her. And like, we don't know the treatment. We don't, we're just praying, Lord, help. And so you, there's going to be times, folks, this is how you go deeper into the faith that you, you actually sit with somebody and you go deeper. You know, you're dealing with something. You ask somebody to pray for you and you start crying. It's okay. Sometimes you'll say to me, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry for crying. Listen, I have boxes of tissues in my office, you know. That's one thing I have to get stacked, stocked with in my office is a tissue box. Uh, because this is what we do as a church. You know, we share with each other. We share each other's burdens. There's a handful of people I can go to and I just, oh, this is really, really doing it to me. And I just need you to pray for me. So to pray, to cry, to just share each other's hearts. You know, in ministry, we, we have trials too. We don't always share from the pulpit, but we need you to strive with us too. We need you to, to be concerned as well, and our families. You know, just thinking about, and, and we're pretty much come to the conclusion here is, this year, did we look for the perfect Thanksgiving or the perfect Christmas for ourselves? Were we concerned about anybody else? Do you know the statistics this time of year? Addictions, suicide, depression. It's all there. Loneliness. That we only just concern about, oh, I have a good family. Not everybody has a good family. Well, I've got a significant other. Well, some people are lonely. You know, do we consider going outside of ourselves and looking for somebody else to minister to? Right? I mean, again, our culture is very self centered. And it's a hard thing to break away from because self, self-centeredness feels good. I'm always thinking about me. I'm number one. I'm just looking out for me. You can get into that. It almost becomes addictive. And to actually be other-centered, initially, it's a learning curve. But I got to tell you, when you go outside of yourself and you're ministering to other people, it feels, it, it's, it's a great feeling. You feel like, oh, I am doing the Lord's will. I, just, I, just, I was a good listener. And... and their countenance changed. Simple things that we can do. Amen? When people put things on the, the church wall, and if you're not on it, we have a Facebook group, Calvary Chapel Crossfields. Go into the group, we'll let you in. And um, someone every once in a while, somebody will say, and, and we see the different prayer requests so and so struggling with suicidal thoughts. If I see it, I send them an inbox. I don't care. I don't say, well, what church do they go to? I don't care. Are they local? Would they talk to me? You know what I'm saying? Just to be used by the Lord, to help somebody. I hear about a suicide, especially with young people, have their whole life to live. And I, I, it, it, it pains me, you know, for somebody at 16, 18, whatever, to think that their life is not worth anything. And I hear that, and, and I start to, in my mind, think, well, I wonder if I, I could have known before. You know, God knows. But it's, it's, we have to get out of that self-centered uh, mentality. What did the Apostle Paul, at the end of the day, ask for prayer from for the Roman Christians? Did he ask for his 401k to grow? No. Did he ask to get his doctorate in theology? No. Did he ask to get a new jet? I can't let that one go. No. <laughs> what did he ask from these Christians? Did he ask for material things for himself? No. The Jerusalem saints are suffering. I'm, I'm fine right now he asked them to pray that he would continue to do right with God, that there would be less obstacles so he could continue ministering to people. Are we serving God in any capacity? You know, is our life all about ourselves? The the, the sermon is titled Reflections on Ministry, but we have to be doing some type of ministry to reflect on ministry. And, ministry, this isn't self-serving. Oh, it has to be in the church. No, it doesn't. I know people who minister in Jamesburg. I know people who go to nursing homes and they ask me every so often, can we get another case of Bible? Yeah, absolutely. Take them. Just let me know when we're running low so we can reorder them. Can we get this? Can we get that? Yeah, we want to help. So ministry doesn't have to be in the walls of the organization of the church. God could have you do a, 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 an other ministry outside of here. And maybe it's simple one-on-one stuff. And sometimes people look, well, I'm, you're preaching from the pulpit. I couldn't be a pastor. I can't speak in front of a large amount of people. You don't have to just ask God what it is that you are gifted with so that you can use it to his glory. Amen. So I would just say this, that with all of our plans for 2020, I think this is appropriate, Right? When we start thinking about this year and all the plans that we have, we have to ask ourselves, is the Lord prioritized? Have I prayed and asked the Lord what my ministry is? Have I enjoined the Lord into my plans for the future? Amen.